Hello again, and thanks for joining us for this episode of Disrupt. One of our guests today, Dr. Miriam Shaw Haida, has changed positions since recording the podcast and just wanted to give you an update on her new roles. She now serves as Assistant Professor for Pharmacy Practice at The Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. She's also serving as Director of Pharmacy Extension and Public Health Initiatives at The Ohio Pharmacist Association and The Ohio State University Extension. Her work there involves leading and serving as a collaborator on statewide projects to advance pharmacy practice and achieve public health goals that align with improving the health and well-being of Ohioans. We hope you enjoy this episode, and without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the topic of smoking cessation provided by pharmacists. Our guest today will be Dr. Miriam Shaw Ojeda, Fellow in Policy and Innovation with the Ohio Pharmacists Association. We're also joined by Dr. Andrew Strahl, Assistant Professor of Pharmacy Practice and PGY1 Community-Based Pharmacy Residency Director at Rocking Horse Community Health Center. Welcome back to Disrupt. I am really excited to have some special guests with us today. First, we have Dr. Miriam Shaw Ojeda with the Ohio Pharmacist Association. She's also an alumna of the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy. Miriam, we're really glad to have you here. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Justin. It's such an honor and privilege to be back in my alma mater uh, with people I've studied under and folks I've worked with today. Thank you for having me. And we also have Dr. Andrew Straw with us. He's one of the faculty members here at the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy and also continues to practice in ambulatory care at a federally qualified health center in Springfield. So, Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on today as well. Glad to be here. And last but not least, we have uh, Matt Miracle with us, one of our interns here in the center. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Um, I think it's important that you're on this episode simply because you've been involved with some of these services. So thanks for joining us as well. Yeah, really happy to be here and also getting to, of course, talk about this collaborative effort that we've had with OPA and some of the other works that we've been able to do with them for the past year or so. Great. So we've done some brief introductions, but um, Miriam, do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and some of the work you get to do with OPA? Sure. So as Justin said, I am an alumna of uh, Cedarville University School of Pharmacy. I graduated in 2019 after seven very long years, but very amazing years here, um, and then have spent the last two years completing a fellowship at the Ohio Pharmacists Association. So anything healthcare policy, anything public health that's been in my wheelhouse for the last two years, that included provider status, which was a major piece of legislation that um, allows pharmacists to be reimbursed for additional clinical services. And uh, it's been a thrill and an honor to be part of that initiative and implement it across the state. Of course, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about smoking cessation here in a bit, um, and that's been great to work with Cedarville and work with a lot of my peers here. And then finally, of course, uh, COVID-19 hit, and a lot of my work right now has been in the vaccine space and in helping spread the word and decrease vaccine hesitancy across the state, working with state partners. So yes, it's been a, a fun ride, but that's kind of where I've been working for the last two years. Great. Andrew, do you mind telling us a little bit more about some of the work you get to do here at Cedarville? Sure. So get to teach in several different areas, one of which is the over-the-counter medications course, but also the respiratory module. Uh, so we talk a lot about smoking cessation within the respiratory module, um, but then I actually get to practice that at Rocking Horse Community Health Center in Springfield, where we have a collaborative practice agreement to work alongside uh, providers uh, to receive referrals to then manage treatment for patients, uh, one of which is for smoking cessation. Okay, so to kick us off, I'm going to go to Miriam first. So my first question for you is, what is the impact of smoking on the health of the population around us today? Is this really a, a big problem that we need to be handling? 
So I'm going to throw a few numbers out at all of you listeners today because I want to highlight the impact that smoking has on the population in the United States. So recently, the former Surgeon General released a 2020 smoking cessation or smoking report. And basically what came out of that report um, was some staggering numbers. According to that report, 34 million adults smoke at this time. Out of them, 16 million live with diseases that are secondary to smoking, um, which if you look at that from the grand scheme of things, that leads to healthcare spending, um, a lower quality of life for these patients, and as a result, uh, billions of dollars spent in their treatment and their care. Um, aside from the numbers of people who are actually smoking, one in 10 adults are, are the only demographic that successfully stops smoking. Um, and that could be anything from they decided this year that they're not going to smoke because they're having a child, or they decided this year was COVID, and so therefore they wanted to reduce their risk of getting COVID, so they stopped smoking. Um, that report itself talked about ineffective methods of helping our patients stop smoking. Because if you look at the landscape of, of when a patient wants to stop smoking, what are their options? A lot of it has to be self-motivated. And that really isn't the way we help people stop any chronic habit and much more any chronic habits such as smoking that have very, very major consequences in people's lives. Andrew, how often do you see patients in your practice that are smokers, whether or not they have a desire to quit at the moment? Is this something you commonly see in ambulatory care? I do see it quite often in ambulatory care. Um, one of the things that you see is that there are more smokers among those that are lower income, um, as well as those that are on Medicaid. And that is a very a large proportion of the patients that we see at the at the clinic. And so therefore, a lot of the patients that I see uh, are smokers. And that then un is understandable why we get so many referrals, not only for smoking cessation, but also for other chronic disease states because smoking does worsen so many other chronic disease states such as diabetes, uh, cardiovascular diseases, uh, respiratory diseases. Uh, so I get to be a part of quite a few patients' journey uh, on both sides of that. So if we had to identify barriers related to pharmacists being involved in smoking cessation in the past, what are some of those barriers? I'll start. Uh, some of the barriers are simply from a reimbursement standpoint. So as a pharmacist, if I um, stepped away from checking prescriptions or doing other roles that pharmacists do in the community setting, to talk to a patient about their medication and talk to their patient, to my patient about how to stop smoking, it takes time. And th as the landscape stands today, reimbursements don't exist for that time. Um, and thankfully, with Ohio being so advanced in the provider status realm, this could be a possibility. The roadblock there is that I would be required to have uh, some sort of an agreement with a prescriber, whether that's a, an MD or a PA or a nurse practitioner, uh, that would allow me to then bill for that service if uh, I was able to spend, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes with a patient to talk to them and follow up with them, not only from that first visit, but the second, third, and fourth visit. So really, from a policy standpoint, I would say there's a reimbursement gap here. And what can help with that is if there's a legislative push or some sort of a mandate that allowed pharmacists to say, yes, we can do this, and my time is being reimbursed by X or Y uh, billing reimbursement. Yep. Andrew, what about practical barriers that you see either in a community pharmacy or ambulatory care? Sure. So some of the barriers that I would see in a community pharmacy, and this comes from uh, my year of residency in a community-based pharmacy, uh, was that even though there are over-the-counter options, uh, sometimes there can be limitations to payment. So unless a, a medication is prescribed, even if it's over-the-counter, a patient may be not able to afford it. And so just not having maybe some options available, as well as at the, at the community level, uh, there may be some prescription options that would be best for a patient, but yet their physician has not been uh, integrated into that care. Uh, so if I am made aware of a patient or I have a patient in front of me at a retail pharmacy that wants to quit, there are definitely some barriers to making it happen um, at that moment as well as just some of the uh, practical workflow issues that can come about in a retail pharmacy. You've probably seen the many busy people behind the counter, um, phones ringing and all, all different things happening. 
especially without reimbursement, but then also without a workflow defined, it could be very difficult to actually integrate that in to what's already happening. So we're, that's a good segue into some things we'll talk about later on in the podcast, some things that are changing across the landscape in Ohio that allow pharmacists to really step up and, and provide services right when the patient's ready for them. But before that, I want to step back and simply ask a few questions regarding your involvement in smoking cessation here in the state of Ohio. So from my understanding, Miriam, you've been the lead on a project funded by the Ohio Department of Health looking at expanding pharmacist-led smoking cessation services. So could you tell us a bit more about that project? Sure. So the Ohio Department of Health has had a priority to increase education, increase facilities and um, abilities for healthcare partners to help with the smoking cessation efforts of the state. What they did was they provided an opportunity for entities like the Ohio Pharmacists Association to apply for mini grants. Within the grant, it would give the ability for OPA to create a training program for pharmacists. And basically the, the idea for o, from ODH's perspective was we want to equip your pharmacists to have those practical skills, to know what it takes to run a smoking cessation service from a community setting. And um, thankfully I was able to write that grant with the help of other partners and we, were, we won the grant. And then we walked over to our friends at Cedarville University School of Pharmacy and said, will you help us? And so that's where the collaboration began. And that's why the four of us are sitting here today talking about this amazing project. So when you went to write that grant, I'm curious if you, um, what your thoughts are on why pharmacists are maybe one of the, one of the best place people to provide these services. What do you think? Was that a part of your grant proposal? So that was a major part of the grant proposal. And here's why. An average patient goes to see their doctor maybe once every six months, their, their primary care physician. If they have other chronic diseases, maybe it's once a month. Most people see their pharmacists more often than that. And you don't have to set up an appointment to see your pharmacist. You can walk right in, say hello, and see your local pharmacist. That accessibility piece is key when we're trying to help our patients stop smoking. Because if a patient walks into my pharmacy and tells me on month one I'd like to stop, and then month two has a difficult month, guess what? He or she or they can come and walk into my pharmacy and get the help they need. Um, that accessibility was something that ODH was very interested in. And in fact, I'll talk a little bit about what happened because of this, this grant and some of the interest that was made across the state because of the fact that they realized, other entities included, realized, oh my goodness, pharmacists are right here. We have, so for those of you who aren't in the pharmacy world, pharmacists are required to have between six to eight years of training in medications. We all get doctorate degrees in this. We are the medication experts. So you combine those two factors, the fact that we're medication experts and we're extremely accessible, and this might be the key to help with this chronic disease of smoking uh, with our patients across the state and I would say across the nation. So let's jump right into talking about some of the work that you did related to this grant um, itself. So walk us through your approach to training pharmacists to provide these services and um, some of the nuance of that. And then I'd love for maybe Andrew and Matt to jump in and talk about some parts that you've been involved in as well. So the grant as it stood was basically a three-part educational series. Uh, we won this grant before COVID started. So the idea was to have an in-person workshop where pharmacists came in and spent about three to four hours with us learning about smoking cessation, running up a smoking cessation service in their community pharmacy, and then they would go away. Great. End of story. What we found, though, was because COVID sent us all home, essentially, we shifted that to an online module where folks could go in whenever they wanted, take the course, and have the same training provided um, through this grant. Uh, that was beneficial because we actually now have attendees to this program from across the country. So we don't have, this just does not have interest in the state of Ohio. Um, but I will pass it on to Andrew to talk about some of the details within those three-part series because we really wanted to make it very practical. We wanted to make it so that pharmacists would feel more confident after taking even the first course, but definitely after taking the three-part series. Yes, yeah, so there were uh, three modules that we really built here. The first, the first was really meant to talk about some pearls that go along with 
uh, smoking cessation. So first of all, why do we even care about smoking cessation? But then also, what are some of the, the practical ways that we can actually uh, implement some of these things? And so this really came down to some of the counseling methods that have been shown to work best uh, when we look at the data, uh, primarily motivational interviewing, what those questions might look like, as well as the basic components of a cessation plan. Uh, so like many other disease states, uh, having an actual treatment plan in place, uh, not only to look at the front side, but also what happens at follow-up is important. So we outlined uh, those in the first session. Uh, the second session was all about the pharmacologic options that are on the market. So who would they work best for? Uh, what are maybe contraindications that we should not be using uh, certain medications? What combinations would make sense? And really tailoring these to be patient-specific, but also uh, rooted in the data of what uh, tends, what we have seen as it will work best. And then the last piece was really tailored to the community pharmacy. Uh, so if we're looking into the future and thinking about how a pharmacist could implement this in a community pharmacy, since Miriam just talked about why they are a great uh, option and the accessibility um, and potential accountability that, that could exist there, uh, we really talked about some practical workflow pieces and different practice models that you could consider depending on what uh, your particular community pharmacy may look like. So Matt, what was your role in this project? How did you support uh, OPA in the smoking cessation effort? When Miriam first came to us about this project and the idea that they had for it, there was a lot of these uncertain uncertain answers that we had of, well, why, like why pharmacists? Why do we want to integrate pharmacists into that? I know we've already talked a little bit about that, but we had to go and find data, collect this, you know, we don't want to just start saying something without any, any evidence to back it up. Uh, for my work, it was a lot of this background in regards to, we need this research to be completed. Where have other people done research before? Are there similar projects? Are there similar programs maybe that other state organizations or other states have? In regards to that, and I know, Miriam, you might be able to talk a bit more about this, of course, but um, what do their payment models look like if they have one? Do they have direct prescribing rights for a pharmacist? Are pharmacists considered providers in those states? Um, or is it similar to what we have in Ohio now where it's this, you are able to effectively give a prescription on behalf of somebody else for that patient? But then also there's this variety of products and we effectively got it down to five that are realistically used most often. The uh, nicotine inhalers and nasal sprays really aren't incredibly popular, but we had to figure out, well, who in the state uses these, which ones are popular in regards to the products that are more likely to be prescribed and dispensed, things like that. And with how frequently they are, are there even pharmacies in Ohio that even have the two that most people don't end up using to begin with? So we had to start with this data. We tried to model our design off of some other studies that we found, specifically where there was one in New Mexico that showed this background of pharmacists getting directly involved in smoking cessation, actively having appointment times with patients, things like that. There's also this payment model in there that we weren't so directly concerned with, but we at least had this background to know this is a thing that happens. This is successful. They have great rates for quitting as well. On top of that, we also did some other things regarding media and promotional materials besides that. Um, but we produced these surveys as well that we sent out across the state to different pharmacies and other partner sites. We had to figure out, hey, are these the products that you use? How do you talk with your patients? Do you have your own payment model currently? Do you have a partnership with another site? Do you have a partnership with a physician? How do you follow up with your patients? Things like that. So we did a lot of the research at the ground level for OPA. Great. I'm going to turn to Andrew again. So I want to go back to education module number one. So one of the things we know about smoking cessation is that people are unlikely to be successful unless that motivation is there for them already. That's, I think, pretty plainly evident. I'd love to hear other pearls that you taught these pharmacists to use that help patients to be successful with smoking cessation. Yeah, it's a great question. So even the way that we address patients and just talk to them in the questions we ask make a huge difference 
in how a patient responds. And just like any other relationship that you've had, the, the way that you ask questions infers something and, and gets different type of information. And so that is a very important piece and something that we teach in the School of Pharmacy is the motivational interviewing approach as to kind of draw out what those motivations are and actually help the patient to contemplate uh, some things that they may have never personally thought of before. Uh, so I think a good example would be walking through a cessation plan uh, and helping them to prepare for specific triggers. So we know that habits are they're hard to, to make and hard to break. And it's really meant to, uh, if we're going to remove this habit of smoking, it's likely we're going to have to replace it with something different. And so helping them to think through uh, what types of triggers do they have that make them want to smoke, and then what's a practical thing that they would actually do to replace that habit. Uh, so we have emotional triggers uh, where most patients I see, you know, every time they're stressed or anxious. Or even sometimes uh, when they get really excited about something, they're triggered to smoke, as well as patterns, waking up, um, driving is, is a big one, social triggers, and then also withdrawal triggers when they're feeling that need. And so we want to talk about specific uh, things and not even sometimes suggest them. Ask a question away is what could you do? Uh, maybe address that. What's something different you could do other than smoking? A lot of times we're like, well, I've noticed that, you know, when I take a quick walk, that helps even if I'm not smoking. And so when they come up with their own ideas, that's the most powerful piece. Now, we can fill in the blanks. Maybe they, they're not sure, or we can build on an idea they have. Uh, but when those, when those start to come out, you can see the light bulbs come on. There's more motivations that begin to occur, and they get more and more excited. And that's one of my favorite things is at the beginning, a lot of times they've tried many times to quit, and they're really down and out. And as we go, they start to bring up more ideas. They get excited to, I remember one appointment at the end. Um, they're like, oh, this is fantastic. I've never uh, had a plan like this. I feel so uh, ready to go. Uh, I know it's not going to be easy, uh, but I feel like I have the support. And so I think that's a big pearl is being that support by creating that plan and helping them to discover some of the things that they maybe already had thought of but not actually implemented. I think two terms that strike me as you talk is that we want these plans to be patient-specific. I think that language has already been used today. But also, it's multimodal. A lot of it is looking into and tapping into the motivation of the individual, understanding the ebb and flow of their schedule and their life and their values, and also leveraging um, pharmacologic therapy when necessary and then lastly, this idea of accountability and social relationships. So I'd love to, uh, for one of you to speak on that a little bit more. What's the importance for an individual to have accountability like uh, friends, family that are alongside them in this journey of smoking cessation? Maybe it's someone in their church or having an organization that rallies around them. Is that a part of these efforts um, that, um, that you were putting forth when pharmacists are involved? Yeah, absolutely. And it's much more difficult for a patient to quit in a household where someone else is still going to continue to smoke. Uh, so I've worked with individuals or maybe couples that actually they're both smoking or I had one individual who was living uh, with a, a roommate and so they both were going to quit. And that definitely is, is a huge help. If a patient doesn't does not have any family or any connections that they feel like are going to help keep them accountable where they can say, hey, this is my quit date. Um, that is one of the big benefits of the Ohio quit line is that I'm referring to them as well. And they can actually be part of that support system. Uh, so the Ohio quit line uh, can text them, they can call them, actually the patient can also reach out. And there's going to be someone there to talk to them, uh, give them encouragement, uh, but then also you know, they might be sitting there one day and they get a text from the Ohio quit line, uh, kind of, how's it going? Uh, here's some encouragement. And so definitely having social support is a, is a big deal. Uh, and so lots of different ways to get that. But for some patients that, that don't, a pharmacist can step in and either both help to be that person in a more informal way. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able 
to take calls from my patients 24 <laughs> seven, but the quit right. line can, uh, yeah. which is really, really cool. Uh, and so that, that is a really big piece that was one of the pearls we talked about as well. So you can then utilize as well, like not only are you giving them the, the, the care provider side and however prescription or over the counter product, things like that. Of course the quit line also has that, um, available products for people if they do want nicotine replacement therapy for smoking yep. cessation. Um, but then also like a lot of that, that follow-up that you effectively are like, we're not able to do that. You can't always be there individually for that person. If you're off the clock, something like that, they don't have access to the pharmacist or whoever else they might be working with. So the quit line's perfect there. They'll get that text message. And like you said, they can also reach out. And um, if they are having any sort of issues, I think you can even hop on the phone with someone. Is that correct? So yeah, then, do you see that your patients get a benefit from that if they are struggling with quitting? Yeah, th that is correct. And talk about that multimodal approach. Um, there's something to be said about the local, physical, in-person connection that I can have with a patient. Um, but combining that then with another entity that, that can also build on what we've done and you know, for them to be able to reach out and tap into individuals that have been trained in cessation counseling um, and behavioral counseling, uh, that is, that's a big piece. Smoking cessation is not just getting rid of triggers. Um, I think even, or I should say, getting rid of the, the withdrawal. Even more so, I think it's the, the psychological piece and learning how to, to cope differently. Because um, many times a smoker will think that smoking the cigarette is what helps them to cope and reduce their anxiety. But in reality, it's usually the things that they do while they smoke, stepping out of the room, removing themselves from the situation, getting some fresh air, taking a walk, um, eating, you know, whatever those, it's actually those other things that are, that are typically the coping mechanism. We can use the pharmacologic agents and the motivational interviewing to help them see that, but also minimize physical withdrawal to help them uh, tap into dealing with the psychological change that is needed to make a successful uh, quit attempt. So Miriam, in relation to this project, were pharmacists able to actually prescribe nicotine replacement therapy or at least link them up with a provider who could get those services when they were desired? So actually, Right now, as it stands, pharmacists are able to recommend over-the-counter nicotine replacement therapy, and if needed, they can refer them to a prescriber, so somebody who'd, who'd write out a prescription either for the NRT or for prescription-only smoking cessation medications. However, in the last General Assembly, the governor released his budget bill, and OPA was thrilled and probably quite surprised to see some wording there that was promoting pharmacists and their role with smoking cessation. When the bill was first released, it actually talked about proposing that pharmacists could actually order all smoking cessation medications, the gamut, the entire line of medications that we can give to our patients, provided, of course, that they're able to see that that patient's an appropriate candidate, that that patient was willing to stop smoking, and then obviously to follow up with the patient post-ordering um, of that medication. Uh, as the, the bill went through the House and the Senate, the, the wording got amended a little bit. But right now, as the budget bill has passed, so it passed in June, uh, it allows for pharmacists to order not, um, nicotine replacement therapy for any patient, provided that they're under a protocol. So that means a signed document with a provider, a prescriber. So it's a, an MD who can say, yes, I trust this pharmacist. This pharmacist can order these medications for the patient. Here's what it does it widens our ability to have those conversations with our patients. And instead of my patient coming in and saying, I want that gum or I want that lozenge, I can have it sit down with the patient and say, okay, how many cigarettes do you smoke? Or when is your quit date? So it, it brings in a more, um, I guess it widens out that ability for pharmacists to interact with their patients. With the bill, of course, because I, I will talk a little bit of legislative speak here, we weren't thrilled with how it was passed because we, and I'm sitting with a, with a group of pharmacists and a pharmacist-to-be, uh, we know that we do have the medication expertise to make those decisions and help not only the prescribers, but most certainly help our patients with their choices. So our hope is that now that this piece of this has been passed, 
that as we look ahead and as our legislators understand and recognize and they continue to recognize the pharmacist's role in our community, that maybe we'll get a, a wider access to order maybe prescription-only medications if it's under a collaborative practice agreement or even a protocol, that would be great. But when, I, when, when the budget bill came out, I actually went to the State House and provided testimony in front of the health, the Senate and the House of Reps Health Committee. And they, both the committees, you know, understood and acknowledged that pharmacists are accessible, that pharmacists are the logical choice for smoking cessation services. Um, so really, I think my hope is that in the next few years, we're able to get more of an ability to be heavily involved in smoking cessation efforts in the state of Ohio, and even be an example to other states as we are in other realms in pharmacy uh, to show not only our state, but others that pharmacists really are, could be the answer to this issue that our country faces. And you mentioned there with the excitement from the budget bill that we had first looked at. It, for listeners, if you're unfamiliar, there's the nicotine replacement therapy, but then there's also two other medications that we can use. We have um, Zyban, which is um, bupropion, and then also um, Chantix, which is varenicline. So when, when we were first reviewing that, we were super excited about it because it's, well, a lot of patients who do come in want to quit, but they say, I've tried, I've tried the patch, often alone, of course, which is an issue in and of itself, or I've tried the gum, I've tried the lozenge, you know, I'll keep as many of them in my purse as I think I need, and it's never enough. Or if I have tried it, and maybe I had some decent success with it, after a while, you know, I felt really warm and red, and I just was itchy or something like that. I had some weird side effect from it, which is predictable. We know that that's going to happen. Um, so do you anticipate then that with how provider status is going in Ohio and sort of this, this proof of concept and the evidence that shows that we know, of course, that pharmacists are great for managing um, medications, of course, and health conditions related to them. Do you anticipate that while the nicotine replacement therapy might be a great starting point in the baseline, that maybe at some point we'll get into the use of other products, specifically in the perhaps retail setting for this? That is the hope. Matt, that's the hope that the folks that helped pass the budget bill and, and acknowledged the pharmacist's role will be able to see that. And if the if a bill comes our way in the future that talks about extended ability of pharmacists to order or at least interact with patients as we're deciding their treatment, that would be fantastic. You know, provider status brings in the reimbursement piece of this, and that's really the key for why Ohio can be this innovative. And we're, we're dreaming the big dreams for what our pharmacists can do is because there is that piece that allows my pharmacist to be paid for what they're doing. So that's fantastic. The piece that was unique with the budget bill was it didn't require some of the roadblocks that provider status currently has with collaborative practice agreements. It really was just one protocol, one and done. And if I had that signed as a pharmacist, I could see any and all patients in this realm. And that from a strategic standpoint is step number one when we're trying to get our pharmacists to get into the provider status world. Because a collaborative practice agreement is very hard to get in the community setting. And I will not get on that soapbox because it is a favorite one of mine. But I will say this, that as we progress, smoking cessation could be the poster child for all that pharmacists can do. Because not only do we see success in our state, but we've seen success in states like New Mexico and in other states that have maybe a wider scope of practice for our pharmacists. So getting back to the project itself, how many pharmacies or pharmacies were involved um, with this pilot? And how has that paved the way for other pharmacists to jump into providing these services, considering the realities that you've you just mentioned? So as it stands, so when we recorded this podcast, we have about 39 pharmacists and pharmacy students who have signed up. Now you look at that number and you think, okay, it's 39 people. No, it's 39 people who are involved in various pharmacy efforts. So there's pharmacy managers, pharmacy owners, staff pharmacists, and then of course, future pharmacists, all individuals who can be ambassadors for this change. When these individuals finished the course, we had sent them a final survey to say, hey, what did you think? How can we improve, of course, but how has this course helped you? 
And some of the comments were quite profound. We had pharmacists who already had smoking cessation services, and they said, look, when I did your course, I realized that I could maybe update the documentation piece or I could update the type of counsel I was giving to my patients. So those were those who had already had a program set up. For some of our students, one student wrote and said, I am about to start my final year and I'm going on API rotations and I'm going to talk to every preceptor about what I, what I learned here and the ability that we have to start a program from scratch. And if they don't have that program, maybe I could help them. Then we had pharmacists who had never done this before and they said, I think that I'm more confident. I feel like if I tomorrow wanted to write a proposal to my boss about this program or starting a program similar to this one, I, I would be successful. So there's, there's a lot of hope from a legislative standpoint, but even just the practicality of this course and what it provided uh, brought a lot of benefit to its attendees. So earlier, both of you mentioned that payment models are a key barrier to implementing these services. We've talked a bit about the budget bill here in Ohio. We've also talked about provider status and um, would love to hear comments from either of you regarding how are those payment models changing in Ohio related to provider status? How can pharmacists get directly reimbursed for providing these services? So one very exciting thing uh, that definitely I've been involved in starting earlier this year was the fact of being added as a Medicaid provider. So I am personally now, uh, I have a Medicaid ID number, which is very exciting and allows me to actually bill directly to Medicaid uh, for the patients that I'm seeing in the clinic. Uh, so it was nice because I was able to integrate that into the workflow that I already had. I was already getting referrals, um, but then building off of that and actually being able to bill directly and being able to use billing codes that better correspond to the service that I was providing than uh, some of the, the, the previous codes that I was limited to. And so I think that's one of the, the biggest changes uh, for me is that patients that I am seeing in Medicaid I can build directly, and that's been very, very exciting. And we've been very successful um, at seeing those payments come back. So just as an aside, this is wonderful to hear what Andrew just stated because this is really what OPA has been working on for the last two years. So me sitting in a room with a pharmacist who has actually taught me say that I have my Medicaid provider ID, I currently bill for services as a pharmacist, as a recognized provider in the state, this is what pharmacy is about. This is what we've been fighting for for in the profession for decades, in Ohio for maybe a decade. Uh, but honestly, so in the state of Ohio right now as it stands, all pharmacists who have a license in the state of Ohio can apply for their Medicaid provider IDs. It's a very straightforward process. If any of you have concerns or questions about how to sign up, go on ohiopharmacist.org. We have a basically an FAQ and how it runs through the steps of how to get to that provider ID and how to get it finalized. That's number one. If folks already have their provider ID, all the managed care organizations right now and one dual, eligi dual eligible contracts are out. So if you are a pharmacist or if you're an owner, you can actually go online and sign up with any of the managed care organizations at the moment. So those are step one and step two. Andrew is privileged to work in a site that has the infrastructure set up already where he does get referrals, but a lot of community pharmacies don't. And so if you are in a community pharmacy setting, the next step would be to start looking for providers and prescribers who can set up a collaborative practice agreement with you. Uh, that is hard, and OPA is really working very hard to try and open that barrier up a little bit more. But right now, that's the third requirement. And then the fourth is to start seeing patients. And like Andrew does, bill for those services directly as a provider. Um, right now, not very many states have that privilege. So if you're a pharmacist listening in and you have questions, please reach out because this is something that not everybody in the in the country has the ability to do. And this is really going to open the door. See, ultimately, what is this about? Ultimately, this is so that my patients can get the highest quality care. And I believe as a pharmacist with all the medication knowledge that I have, and I speak for many hundreds of pharmacists as I say this, we can provide high quality care to our patients. We can make those outcomes count. We can improve their healthcare overall, reduce spending, and really just fulfill the calling for why we all chose this profession. So actively stepping off that soapbox now. <laughs> That's great. Um, it, 
Is the program still available, in particular the training program that you have developed through this grant? And if so, how do pharmacists access that specific training that can help them to establish the services on their own? So the training is very much still available. It's online at ohiopharmacist.org. In fact, we, we currently still have it on our homepage. So if you just see the, the scrolling screen at the top, it'll talk about the smoking cessation program. And uh, it's a three-part series, very easy to access. You can do it whenever you want to at home. Um, and if you have any feedback, of course, please feel free to reach out. We're always looking to improve. But yes, it's very much available. And Andrew, how can pharmacists or those wanting to access the quit line um, get information about that? Sure. So if you Google Ohio quit line, uh, that'll get you started in the right direction. Uh, you can go directly to that page uh, if you go to ohio.quitlogics.org, and that's L-O-G-I-X. Uh, there is a general page that gives information, and then from there you can actually enter a healthcare provider portal. Uh, on that portal, there's a couple options to actually uh, inform the provider of what's available. But one thing I really use uh, actually for every patient that I see is the, uh, the web referral. So with the patient's permission, I can refer them during the visit, get all of the appropriate contact information, and they actually usually get a, a confirmation text while we're sitting there uh, so that they can actually get enrolled with the quit line right away. Um, and then I send them home with all of my materials as well. Uh, but they can go on, on the, uh, the site as well, look at information, but that is one way that a healthcare provider can actually enroll a patient. So Miriam, before we finish up then, I, I, was, I, I felt really amazed to be part of the project, of course, and, and see that student perspective of I'm not, I'm not just here to go to class and say I'll get to do the work at some point. I got to actually participate in this. Um, not only that, but as we're working with different sections of this, going to the state house, getting to see how these education materials get prepared, and then also being educated on that at that point too, where I became very familiar with the process for this. Considering how our project worked and the outcome of it now, how do you think other state organizations can use this as a similar model whether for smoking cessation or for something else. How do you think that they get started and how do you think that um, other states can kind of utilize what we've done and, and show that pharmacists in their state too have these great outcomes for patients? So first of all, I would like to congratulate both Matt Miracle and Luke O'Brien. They were both students who helped uh, OPA and, and Cedarville on this collaboration project together. And you guys did a fantastic job, driven students, and always willing to learn. So, you know, what Matt just said about his willingness and the things that he learned, they were very persistent students on this project. So well done. Uh, aside from having students that are very involved, if state associations were interested in replicating this, of course, we know this, you know, how, how are we interacting with our legislators? How are we educating them on what pharmacists can do? What makes Ohio unique is that OPA and other partners have done a very good job of talking to our legislators and saying, do you know what pharmacists do? Do you know how pharmacists can impact your constituents or your county? And bringing numbers that actually matter to them um, has really helped increase the curiosity, but also the action taken in favor of this profession. As a, as a fellow, as a new practitioner, so I graduated two years ago, one of the big roles that I've seen early start pharmacists in their early parts of their career and students get involved is talking to their legislators. You know, you, you are a pharmacist, but you're also a constituent for a legislator somewhere. And that applies to anybody within and outside the state of Ohio. If there's something that matters to you, it should matter to them as well. So take that time. If you are working in a community where you see a lot of patients struggling with smoking, what are you doing about that? Can you let your legislator know about the barriers that are there for your care? The barriers that will, if removed, will allow those patients to have better care and better quality of life. What does that mean? Could that mean going to a visit to the state house? Maybe the state association in your state has uh, an annual visit where you go and talk to your legislator. It could also just mean picking up the phone or writing a letter. You'd be surprised at how accessible our legislators are. Sometimes I've picked up the phone and I think I'm going to voicemail and then I end up speaking with the legislator and it freaks me out for a minute. But then I realize this is another human being on the line 
who is equally as passionate about helping the people around them. And so honestly, that's those are the grassroots level efforts that need to begin and did begin in Ohio that probably led to a lot of the things that we're talking about today is because we have a profession in the state of Ohio that is well informed about our the power of the pen, the power of words to go and speak to our legislators. So I would say that. And then students out there, if there are projects that come your way similar to the one we're talking about today, dive right in. Because really, this is practical training. You're not sitting in a classroom necessarily taking notes and taking tests. You're learning from talking with legislators. You know, Matt came in to the state house the day I, I gave testimony. Uh, Matt and Luke helped us write the write reports, helped us create surveys. This is really on-the-job training. And if I, in the next in the next five years, if there's a new bill that comes around, you know what? I'm calling Matt Miracle to go give testimony because he knows the ins and outs of this of this piece of um, care that we can provide to our patients. So again, this is an encouragement. There's a lot of work to be done across the country, but each of us can have a role in this and each of us can make a difference. One question that I failed to ask up to this point, but I think is important. What were the positive outcomes of this project? What did we see? And uh, how is that going to, again, create some momentum for us? So the positive outcomes simply from the grant and writing out what we hope to achieve was the 39 people that successfully took the course and the the runoff from that, who are the other individuals that they were able to influence. We were very curious to see their feedback and I talked a little bit about the feedback earlier on and all of that was very, very positive. The budget bill came out of some interest in this in this particular grant and that's huge because I think that opens the door like we've talked about in what else pharmacists can do in this space. And then lastly, I think just a, a training program that'll last longer than any of us could have imagined where pharmacists across the country have access to this training program. And who knows what, what this will lead to in the future. This might spark ideas in Arizona. This might spark ideas in, in other parts of the country that um, we are yet to see the impact that pharmacists can have. So, yes, there was a lot of positive outcomes. And I'm, I'm thrilled. And I think on behalf of OPA, would like to thank Cedarville University, the School of Pharmacy, for investing in this project alongside us. Uh, we, we couldn't have done it without you all. So thank you. Miriam, I think those are some great thoughts as we're wrapping up here. Andrew, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to share about pharmacist-provided smoking cessation services? Sure. I would say uh, to those pharmacists who maybe have considered this or would like to get involved, I definitely would tell you to consider uh, these courses. Uh, I'm a little bit biased, but I, I really do hope that the content we provided there will be helpful. Uh, but also I would just say, uh, consider the, the, the type of impact that you can have as a pharmacist on the clinical side. There is a lot that you can do uh, that doesn't require hours and hours and hours of, of time. Just uh, that chance to connect with the patient, even just, we talk about the five A's of smoking cessation, just the asking. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of smokers do want to quit, and you might be that person to ask that day, uh, and they say, yeah, I actually would. And so I would just really encourage pharmacists to, to get involved uh, and to make a difference there. Um, we've made huge strides. You think in the 60s, over 40% of the population was smoking. Um, and to, to see where that is today is great, but I, we can do even better. Um, and so I would just say get involved and consider this course as a way to maybe jumpstart some of your efforts. Matt, do you have anything to add? So I'd add... Just in closing, on from my own perspective, sort of two different sides. And one is the the education, the clinical knowledge that I think students should focus on, but also the other one being advocacy efforts, especially at the state level. So first, with, with clinical knowledge for students, you know, pay attention in your class, but also listen in on what your professors and other providers that you work with, the little pearls and, and nuggets of information that they might have for you. So Dr. Straw taught my respiratory course. And of course, immediately going into uh, the, the pandemic at the same time when we're switching to online classes, that was incredibly relevant. I also got to work with him that following summer on some other things. So there's a lot of this respiratory issues going on all at once. But I was also working too on the side, even while I was a student. And at least in the stores that I was working in on the retail side, 
I would have patients come in and they start asking about this and it's really easy to just walk out into the little sections in the store and ask, Hey, you know, are you interested in, I, I noticed that you're interested in these products here. Um, do you happen to have some time to talk with me about your smoking habits? Something like that. Cause what I found was a lot of people see on the news, they, um, you know, they read reports online and it's, Oh, if you just get the gum, you'll be fine. And we really not that we're causing harm to the patient and trying something like that. And they might have some success. But what we talked about earlier is there's that connection that you need to have the social aspect of it too. But then also using a combo therapy, we have a lot of great data to show that's a really excellent option, but a patient's not likely to know something like that. So I can get them connected with having the patch, but also the lozenger gum, whichever one they prefer. And that patient's now more likely to have a successful quit attempt because of it. Also, I'd add that it's been wonderful for the past really three years, now four, that I've been at the School of Pharmacy to work alongside OPA, or at the very least to hear them as they've come to a campus or I've gone to them for whatever event it might be and hear what's going on at the state level. But don't stop there, especially for students. It's wonderful to hear about these things, but there has to be this, we, we use the term grassroots, but it really means like you need to actually be in the dirt, moving something, do something with your hands and get the work done. Um, it's great to have an organization, of course, that does so much groundwork for the rest of us, um, but they have to have support too. It's not stuck with them. If it's only ever three voices that happen to go to the state house and that's it, it doesn't sound like that's a lot of representation, but if you start calling people, if you meet with them, if you go to a student legislative day, you have your name out there, you see the white coats, things like that. Those are the little practical efforts that can also definitely make some changes at the state level, but give a more robust answer to who is whatever your state organization is. Who is OPA? Is it just Miriam? Is it one other person in the room? Or is it for the state of Ohio, hundreds of students walking into the state house and saying, thank you for your time. I'd like to talk to you about this bill. Those are really practical efforts. And I think that they could be modeled in other states as well. Great. Well, it has been such a pleasure and honor to speak with all of you today about this topic. I'm excited to see where pharmacists in the state and our future pharmacists take these uh, particular services and expand them. So Miriam, thank you so much for coming on. We've really appreciated your time today. It's been an honor. Thank you, Justin. Yep. And Andrew, it's always a pleasure to have you joining us as well. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening.